0: of the plan dc talk right here on get into geek my name is mitch talking all things dc on the big and little screens now if you missed last week's episode talked about a monster week in dc we had the black adam release we had henry cavill's return to superman and also james gunn and peter safran becoming co-leads of the newly developed dc studios at warner brothers discovery this week though Not as much groundbreaking news, but some big news nonetheless. Now, as we will get into later on this podcast, as we do each and every episode, we're going to be talking about some DC TV, and we're going back to a ways a little bit, beginning of last year, with what has become me reviewing shows that have since been cancelled. And not that I ever started to watch Stargirl, but if I did, it'd be another show that we'd be talking about having been cancelled, because that was the news early last week. Stargirl on the CW ending its run with its current third season. Now sadly, I guess for almost every small screen DC property left, this is a possible, and as it's proved, likely future. But what was supposed to be the season 3 finale in December will now serve as the series finale of star girl the show creator and executive producer jeff johns did make comment last week on the morning of the cancellation and said how special star girl is to him and and always will be in his heart but did say that they were aware this was possibly going to be the final season of the show and that they did write it accordingly still believes they've delivered the best season so far what else is he going to say you're not going to promote A less than stellar chapter of the show, especially when you're only a couple of seasons in. But if true, it is interesting that they did approach it with the idea that this could be the end of the show. So for the Stargirl fans out there, hopefully you do get some closure when we see what is to be the final episode in mid-December. And I guess if I ever start to watch the show and I start to review it over the next X amount of podcasts, we'll see how I feel too. In better news for another property, Black Adam has had another win at the box office, number one again for the third weekend in a row. It was a bit of a quieter weekend at the box office overall, something that won't be the case next weekend, but unfortunately for Black Adam, it will not be because of itself. Obviously, Marvel's Black Panther Wakanda Forever comes out at the end of the week. Black Adam's days as number one at the box office are surely done and dusted, but... Good news for Black Adam and DC nonetheless, currently sitting at just under $320 million worldwide as we record this podcast after three weekends. So we've talked about movies, we've talked about TV. Now to go to someone who's going to be aware of both in his new role as co-CEO and creative head of DC Studios, James Gunn. He's taken a Twitter this morning to make comment on the future of DC and what we can expect while also acknowledging the pure love and passion passion of the fans and what they have wanted and campaigned for over the last couple of years and I think I'm just going to read it all, because as a fan, I actually really appreciate what he's come out to say. Even if in certain parts of it, he's not saying very much, I still like the idea that he has addressed certain factors of the DC universe, whether it be movies or TV, over the last couple of years, even if just to say that he is aware of it and that it's going to be part of their plans ongoing. James Gunn says, Opened up Twitter at the end of a long, creative weekend to see the many tweets to hashtag Save of Tomorrow. And hashtag release the Aircut and fan support for other DC projects over the years. The majority of these requests were enthusiastic and respectful. <laughs> very good choice of words to say majority because certainly not all of them as the new and first ever ceos of dc studios peter and i think it's important we acknowledge you the fans and let you know that we hear your different desires for the pathways forward for dc although our ability to interact on twitter has been lessened due to the workload of our new positions we are listening and open to everything as we embark on this journey and will continue to do so for the next few years but all of our initial focus is on the story going forward hammering out the new DCU and telling the biggest story ever told across multiple films, television shows, and animated projects. We invite all the DC fandoms from across the multiverse and everyone else as well into this new universe. We can't wait to reveal more. So overall, some pretty nice words there, and understandably fans are thanking him for recognizing the push to save Legends of Tomorrow, as well as the release the air cut. Even David Ayer himself took to Twitter to simply tweet out the hashtag, but uh, I don't see Legends of Tomorrow getting a saving. I don't know that it needs one. We'll see as we go on and review the next couple of episodes, but... It's at least a good thing to hear someone as high as what James Gunn now finds himself within the DC hierarchy, thanking the fans, welcoming fans, and promising something big. And he did put it in a phrase where he capitalized every letter, the biggest story ever told. How much they already know about that, I guess we won't know for many years to come, but it is good. They are planning things, and DC has a future. Now to some things that don't have a future anymore, but they do have a future in my mind because I haven't seen them yet. Some TV episodes, as I said earlier, and if you've been joining Capes and Cows over the last couple of episodes, we're going back to the shows of DC TV that I never quite watched yet. We're now up to episode five of season two of Batwoman, but that also means that I am now up to the premiere episode of Superman and Lois. Yes, this show's been going on a while. This was recorded a long, long time ago when I first watched it. And I've had a little bit of a listen to the end of it. It's kind of funny in retrospect with regard to the Henry Cavill news of late. I promised a little bit of a tangent at the end of this. Anyway, enjoy what comes. More Capes and Cows action coming back on our next episode. Hopefully more big weeks coming up for DC. Right now, though. I want to talk about this episode first, not only because it aired first, but I guess it wouldn't really want me talking about it second, and you'll find out why. This episode, it's a bit of a weird one. It follows on from last week. We find out a little bit more about Ryan's backstory, about her relationship with her ex-girlfriend, but in the end it just does very... Little. It seems to be a bit of a theme going on. One thread we do pick up on is the Jack Napier painting that we hinted at last week. It's basically the MacGuffin of the episode. Team Batwoman, they want to find it. Commander Kane does as well. Both believing it will help lead them to Kate. Sophie and Batwoman, both reluctantly, they decide to team up. Characters from Kate's past are brought into the story. And the mission of the episode is to retrieve the painting. Enter Wolf Spider. Now, I'm not any Batwoman aficionado. I don't know the comics, the backstory, the mythology. I don't know whether Wolf Spider is someone from the source material or it's some poorly named character that they've just made up for the show. But here we get introduced to him as an old friend of Kate's. He's now working as some kind of lowly sub-member of the new group, The Collective. Uh, But first seen in this episode as a cat burglar-looking thief doing backflips off of high-rises because, you know, we need that the whole episode is around getting this painting and we go through the story only for the painting that the teams are after to be revealed to be a fake and at the end of the ep we're basically in the same position we were last week. Even the side story of Alice and Ocean trying to figure out how they know one another and why their paths seem linked from their past, and why Sapphire even wants Ocean dead in the first place goes very little further than it was at the start of this episode, but it's kind of like these two different stories, the Ocean and Alice and the, the Batwoman Jack Napier painting stuff... They're set to meet at a certain point. That doesn't seem like any secret at this stage, but it seems like one of those stories has more story to move through than the other. So we have a nothing episode on the Batwoman painting side of things. They kind of just reset it at the end of the 42 minutes because eventually they're going to get together... But one needs to slow down before it gets there too quickly. Like I said, I actually like getting more nuggets about Ryan's backstory. The fact that her long-proclaimed innocence in her drug charge was due to her taking the fall for ex-girlfriend Angelique. Now, we're probably not supposed to believe the turnaround of Angelique's story. When we met her last week, she was holding a key card to the motel that Ocean was staying in with a note to drop the product off the next day. And here we have her hanging around the collective who boast that they have the Napier painting. How will this connect with the ocean story? How does any of this make any sense? Do any of the words that I just say seem memorable at all? I'm just saying names and things by this point. I hope that we'll soon see because we really don't cover too much in this 42-minute episode. One positive, though, is that Kane finally learns his lesson after two failures and not showing up to a dodgy meeting in a dodgy area completely by himself. I mean, his two crows were easily put away by Sophia's assassin at the start of this episode, but at least he did take backup. From Coriana, you're going to tell Sophia to give my daughter back. And I guess with he and Batwoman conversing for the second straight week and her working with Sophie... That's sort of this story's mirroring of the Batman-Commissioner-Gordon partnership. And I guess it's something that Kate Kane just couldn't get away with doing with Commander Kane. Surely the suspension of disbelief that this show asks of us, that he, Kane, her father, wouldn't recognise Kate if they did meet up as frequently as what they seemed to in Season 1. It just wouldn't stand. Then again, Sophie never clued on last season, so maybe the show could have gotten away with it. What I don't get, though, is this sudden hatred towards the Crows. The The Crows have always been this tough police force. That's kind of the point. We were introduced them at the start of Season 1. They were this, well, not so much anti-vigilante task force, but more of a make-vigilantes-redundant-again force. Now... And I only want to say in this episode, they've been talked about as if they are just as corrupt as the Gotham City Police Department was. I get Ryan talking about two cops in particular somewhere near the end of the episode. They've acted like pigs, they're making bad remarks. I, I understand that. Not on, not cool. Yes, the, the audience agrees with you, but for her to judge the entire department based on that just seems a bit much, the way that they're trying to sell it to us with that particular line of dialogue. Even when she talks about her arrests, like, she was caught with drugs. The fact that they weren't hers doesn't really matter at the time of the arrest. You know, I I dare say that any legitimate drug dealer or something that any of these heroes might run into in these shows, once they're caught, would go, yep, not mine. And of course, we're not to believe them because they're the bad guys and we're here for the hero. But just because we are following Ryan now and we flashback or get told about her backstory and it shows her saying, hey, these weren't mine, we don't have to just side with her because we know that's the truth. We've got to be able to see it from the police officer, or in this case, the Crow's point of view. They've found this person with a bad track record. She's got drugs on her, put two and two together, at least take her in for questioning, which is what they did. Other than that, we've only heard that she has been, quote-unquote, unfairly targeted. Now, I think for her to disdain to carry weight in this episode, we just need more examples explained. Now, that's not me asking for more exposition. I think we get enough of that, but something to give it context, you know? And what's up with Luke? Like, didn't we only find out in episode one and maybe even a little bit of the end of season one that Hush was the one that killed his dad, Lucius Fox? Sure, when he says in this episode that The Crows Killed my father. He could mean that they gave his dad up to Hush or that they didn't do their job to protect Lucius. But when Ryan asks him Really? and he answers Really? that kind of says it all. Yet contradicts what I think we've been told in the past. Again, just to suit this particular episode. Look, there's more that I want or probably could say about this episode but it's probably best that i do so after talking about finally our second show of the week its debut premiere episode i can't keep getting my voice higher superman and lois Oh man, from the very beginning, this just feels like a very different show in the Arrowverse. And I mean, that's if we're still going to be calling it that at this point. Obviously, Superman and Lois is the first time this franchise has worked with a true legacy character. Look, The Flash is great, don't get me wrong, I've been there since day one, but unless you're working with Wonder Woman, Batman, Superman, you're second tier at best in DC, let's be honest. And with that, more than most others, we all know the Superman origin. I think even the non-comic reading, non-TV, or even movie-watching people in the world could still tell you the fundamentals of Superman's origin story. Yet, they're once again on show here. I'm not complaining about it. I love it. The montage and narration, they help set the tone for the episode, and it gives the, the score some early time to really bring some life to the show and the way that they're trying to tell this story but you think about it back in 2016 we got two very different examples of trying to rehash a well-known origin and to very different results in batman v superman we see an abridged version of the bruce wayne backstory with we see the waynes leaving the theater we see the alleyway hold up we see the gunshot his parents die, Bruce screaming, and then there's the complaints after of, why do we have to see the Pearls again? We know why Bruce became Batman. Why did you say that name? And yet in Captain America's Civil War, barely two months later, the MCU completely skipped over the Spider-Man backstory and started with him at least months into being a low-key superhero. you Spider Boy. And yet the complaints after that wondered if this Peter was even supposed to have been bitten by a radioactive spider. And to this day we're still wondering if the MCU ever even had an Uncle Ben. So you can't win. But back to Superman and Lois. They end his backstory at the start of this episode with one of the first looks at Superman in his costume, with the, the like even the shot composition and outfit paying respects to his Action Comics debut. It's it's awesome, and I wish that I didn't get it spoiled on social media before I watched the episode. But that still somehow didn't ruin the experience for me. And on top of what it looked like, you then get Superman delivering this line, which I would say would even make the Christopher Reeve Superman blush. Cool costume. Thanks, my mom made it for me. I love that. It's so cheesy. It's so nerdy. It's so old school Superman. And and that's not even some subtle way of having a dig at, you know, the current generation of Superman. It's hard to even say current generation of Superman. No one wants to give Henry Cavill a fucking go, but it's far from that. I love Henry Cavill. We can talk about that at length in another podcast, but it's just so much fun seeing someone as truly awesome as Superman still manage to just be, I don't know, complete and probably lack of a better word, like dork in a, in a modern setting and for it just to work. Well, at least it did for me. But all that's no good if you don't do the other side right. This is Superman after all, and we need to see some truly, again, for lack of a better word, super action. Look, you'll have to forgive the puns. There's just no way around it, okay? I'll, I'll try better. The show properly opens with a problem only Superman could fix in the time it needs to be fixed, and Superman solves it in a way that only Superman could. You get this overheating reactor threatening to explode, and we get more than a subtle nod towards Superman 3, with carl freezing a section of a lake, just this time around the CGI is a little better, so that he can carry this giant ice boulder to put out this big burn. And in doing so, we see the quickest image as well that reminds you of Superman Returns, with Superman and all of his might still struggling ever so slightly to lift this giant mass out of the water. And all of that is actually before the show even starts being about what it's truly about, something we've never covered in live action before, Superman and Lois as parents, and to teenagers no less. This is where the narrative really breaks away from that Arrowverse. It, it, in the most recent crossover, Crisis on Infinite Earths, so you think back to that, it started off with Lois and Clark, parents to a baby boy. And I say boy, not boys, boy, for all three then to be killed off during that story's you know big universal threat. And then at the end, upon the rebirth, that, okay, that's no pun intended, and things go back to normal, the 5-ep miniseries wraps up, in part, with Lois making this call to a very shocked Superman. Hey, Lois. Clark, I need you to get to Metropolis now. It's the boys. The boys? Yeah, honey, your sons? Now, being somewhat on the in with the changes and and the merging of the multiple Earths, Clark still seemed as surprised as the audience to hear that he no longer had one son, but two. And that was as far as we got. Now, the timeline has jumped forward more than a decade. The two are parents to the same sons, so it seems but they're now starting high school and like look who knows why the change was made in world with diggle in arrow he also gained a second child at the end of the crossover that was because of oliver dying basically forming the world the way that he wanted and he obviously chose to reunite diggle and lila with that daughter that they had lost and for the better part, forgotten about during Flashpoint, like four seasons ago in The Flash. But Lois and Clark gaining a new son was purely a forward-thinking narrative decision, surely, based on the upcoming series. And I actually checked the dates. News actually broke of Superman and Lois receiving a full series order on the day that that episode of the crossover in particular went to air. So we separate from the Arrowverse timeline, explore the characters in a different way. Live action never has. The Their sons couldn't be more different. One may or may not have powers. And most importantly, they don't know their dad is Superman. Now, first of all, that further stretches that suspension of disbelief we talked about in Batwoman, but in Superman overall, that someone so close to Clark for so long that's grown up with him wouldn't realize that he was Superman. But that means that his sons have never ever seen their father without his glasses on. And adding more weight, and it turns out giving birth to the backbone of the story... We see the death of Martha Kent a, a loss that brings the family back to Smallville for good you know we usually we spend so long on the Jonathan Kent death that we've always had Martha there being that rock so it was a real one two even three four sort of punch in the first 10 minutes of this episode alone of of the the steps further beyond the regular mythology that we explore in Superman certainly in live action adaptations than we ever have before and what this show is going to be about And I guess in many ways, this is the perfect Superman story. Superman, like for all of his might, his greatest weakness is that he's raised a human. If he was a bit more arrogant or didn't carry the same relationships as he does now, he could solve just about anything without so much of a thought. And that's often his undoing. We've seen that countless times in movie and TV alone. The likes of Lex Luthor constantly use Superman's humanity against him. So while Lois has been okay in other iterations of having a boyfriend or a time's husband, constantly be off saving the world, it's a little bit harder when you throw children into the mix, and especially children who don't know who their dad really is. And then this show brings the family out of the action of Metropolis and into the country town of Smallville, where Clark's sudden absences are going to go far more noticed. Obviously, that doesn't last too long. The boys get themselves into an accident. They're not so hurt. Clark and Lois, initial thoughts seem to confirm that the football superstar Jonathan does have powers and then it comes out that Jordan was the one who saved his brother either way the boys want answers why do they really avoid injury or even death why does their dad not want them in the barn of all places in one of the great examples of worst kept secrets the boys find the not so hidden doorway to the room beneath the barn very quickly find a very alien looking ship now What I do like, though, is that the boys don't then immediately start questioning their dad just because the audience knows that he's Superman, but rather themselves. Like, Jordan very obviously starts fearing for himself and that his unexplained actions in the barn, along with this lifelong feeling and sense of not fitting in and behavioural problems, might link him with the origins of the ship. Jonathan, though, while never seen voicing any concern for himself, he probably also could have started asking questions about himself. Like... After all, earlier in the episode, we are told that he is a freakishly talented athlete and competes years above his age and size. They're clearly fraternal twins as well. So while one brother does look more like their father and the other looks more like their mother, there is enough differences there that they could begin to think that one of them is definitely not of the family. Clark being Clark, though, immediately does the opposite of what he has spent the entire episode telling us and Lois that he doesn't want to do and tells the boys the truth. And I will give the show credit for not having his sons suddenly go (gasps) when Clark takes his glasses off. It's like they could see a resemblance from Clark to Superman when he did remove them, but needed some more convincing, even though they probably knew the truth right away. Like... To go back to that suspension of disbelief, I think us, even as big fans of Superman, we've just kind of accepted that it's ridiculous that a pair of glasses would confuse somebody from this global superstar. The resemblance to he and Superman is not that far that you wouldn't be able to put two and two together. So I like that the boys didn't just all of a sudden go, oh my God, this makes so much sense. Look at you. And it was a pretty kick-ass moment the way that the reveal happened. First, Clark shows his real face as Superman and then he picks up a truck like it's nothing before gently lifting off the ground with a truck over his head. It's a very triumphant moment. The score is great. The imagery is great. And I don't think I will ever get over and god knows there are plenty of opportunities to do so seeing an image of superman silhouetted by the sun behind him and in this we see him over the barn this pickup truck above his head and then just outline of of him in this flannel shirt and jeans and it still just works but all that comes crashing down when his sons they're more worried about the lies that he's told them for their entire lives and Again, I've got to give the show credit because on paper it might seem like a crazy idea. This kid is told that his dad is Superman and the kid remains angry at him, what? But I think we've all been there, right? Like, someone you look up to, no matter who they are or what they do or even how beloved they are for it, if you don't have trust, then none of the rest matters. Like, they're still a person. You still have a close relationship with them. And in turn for Clark, all of these heroic moments and the amount of times he saved the world and the type of bad guys that he's fought off, all of that means very little when he fears that he's going to lose his sons. But just like the start of this episode, the show remembers that it needs to get back to the action, but not at the expense of the story. It's It does follow on from that and again furthers that, well, he's now going to have to try and bring these two sides of his life together. And we have Superman taking on this, you know, phantom menace who was behind the threat at the beginning and several others like it, as we find out. And after some cool TV superviding, the episode ends but not before we hear this. I'll start the upgrade to your armour right away, Captain Luthor. Luthor. Lex Luthor, obviously. No, it's not our Lex Luthor. That's Alan from Two and a Half Men, right? Or is it? I don't know. Is this a completely separate storyline then? Does this confirm that the show doesn't take place in the Arrowverse? the show doesn't otherwise reference anything about the franchise has this superman never met Alex luther did luther die is this his return that he's trying to keep secret he is referring to superman like he's foreign even more than luther usually does and he is in some type of alien ship is this a multiverse luther where is he hiding is it near the fortress of solitude because at the start of the episode we see that this show's fortress is still somewhere in the ice mountains of somewhere. Luther's ship seems to rest I don't know, someplace similar I just hope that we'll be fed more information soon because that was a really big way to finish off the ep The show even included its own version of the Christopher Reeve flyover shot, you know, from space. We've all seen it because at this point I think it seems to be a bit of a prerequisite to making anything superman but still it does actually wrap up the show nicely as a nod to those that came before it while still being its own thing or at least giving it a nice jumping off point i am excited for the series now though and it's so much of a relief because while i do watch these shows i'm obviously here making a podcast about it so it's taking up more of my time beyond the 42 minutes of watching every episode You know, there's some diminishing returns in there, to say the least, uh, depending on which show you watch, uh, some more than others. But this one, I I popped on, I asked my wife, did she want to watch it? Now, she watches a lot of my TV and my movies like this with me, but she came away actually really enjoying this. And she's watched some of the other Arrowverse stuff with me, very take it or leave it. She's never said, wait for me to watch the next episode. This was very different. Uh, I think I've got her on board with Superman and Lois, which is great because it does prove to me that maybe this show is different. And hey, if you love all these shows, we don't necessarily need it to be different, but I think if you're worried about how the Arrowverse franchise and the CW-ness of it all is going to handle a key legacy character like Superman and worried about whether it's going to do with it what it does with Legends of Tomorrow, you could probably rest a little bit easier now having seen this pilot episode. I am nervous that Episode 2 might not hit the standard that this pilot set, but I'm still very excited anyway. And next week we do gain another show as well with The Flash back for Season 7. So that's all for this week's DC TV podcast. You can find all of our old episodes on this podcast channel. You can follow Get Into Geek on the socials. And we will be back next episode for more Batwoman, more Superman Lois, and brand new Flash. Get Into Geek.